Hi, Nick. Hi, Caleb. I don't really want to tell a joke today. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to. (laughs) Let's just start it. Okay. Hello, everyone. uh, Oh, hi. Welcome to Your Two Show. Your Two Show, a show about shows. A show about shows, a show about childhood, a show about culture and media and life. Sometimes it's a show about the future. That's right. Sometimes it's a show about the present, but mostly it's a show about the past. I'm Caleb here, And I'm Nick Splendor. Thank you for that really beautiful (laughs) elocution on the nature of our existence here. Thanks. As you can tell, I uh, was consulting my notes the whole time. I had written this out very specifically. I spent a lot of time on it. I'd like it if you put the paper down so I could see your eyes for like (laughs) even, or just like, I don't know, just your mouth. I don't know. Hold it up or down. Reveal some part of your face to me. No, sorry. For this episode, I have Mm. actually written out everything that I'm going to say. So I have to keep checking the paper to read all the lines. I've also written out what you're going to say. And so far, you're actually, you're doing really great. You've lined pretty much up with what I expected you to do. That's interesting because I'm not reading nor have I received any kind of script. But I think you know me well enough that my presence here is strictly functional. <laughs> yeah. And, and like writers, really, what, what do we do but channel reality? Mm. You know? It's not about what I'm making up. It's about what's going to happen. I'm more of a, a seer. Kind of like a, yeah, yeah. A seer has warned of a deadly fate. <laughs> Uh, and we <laughs> in have this episode. bided our time <laughs> yeah, in this episode of Sonic Underground. Well, we bided our time and we've lain in wait. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is, it's time to probably act on a different prophecy, right? It seems like it seems like we have lain in wait a little too long on this one. So. This this episode of Sonic Underground was a little bit of a rough one, which happens like, you know, one out of every one of Sonic Underground's yeah, episodes. The last few. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's okay. We're talking about episode 12 called The Last Resort. Yes. I had a thought during this episode where I thought, this episode was made by Mad Lib. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, it feels a little bit like assembled. And I'm really not in the mood to be like super negative on yeah. a pr- this episode of TV. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I actually think that its message is all right. Yes. Yeah. And that if it didn't execute it in certain ways, I almost feel like it's more hamstrung by the format and probably just not having a ton of time mm-hmm. to like flesh it out. So I'm not super mad at it or anything. Totally agree. I think this show, I think this episode, despite it being like a little bit slower and like kind of rehashing some of the stuff we've learned before this episode does hammer home one of the major themes of sonic underground which is that having a good world requires sacrifices that's a theme that's pervasive through the whole series and i guess i should talk a little bit about what actually happens in it yeah give me like a quick recap because i feel like there aren't that many like plot points just sum it up (laughs) for me In this episode, they stumble upon, after running away from a fight in a factory that we are not given a lot of information about, the triplets stumble upon a little wooded area, a little beautiful valley, in kind of the middle of the desert that's still green, still beautiful, and what they say is how Mobius used to look. Yeah, yeah. And so they ask specifically, as soon as they arrive, this guy named Stripes, who's basically a tiger. Well, let's give it just a little (laughs) bit more than that. He's not basically a tiger. He's kind of like... (laughs) 
He's like extraly a tiger. Mm-hmm. He's like, <laughs> hey, what's up, cool guys? Mm-hmm. He's really tall. He's got a cool cape. Yes. He's got sunglasses that he never takes off. They're like chrome sunglasses, too. They're like silver. Yeah, and he almost has like an like an X-Men outfit on. <laughs> he does look like Cyclops. He's like Cyclops' furry OC. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And so, anyway, I just feel like we should give Stripes the credit he's due as like, do you th- <laughs> do you think Stripes is more or less attractive than Tony the Tiger? Ooh, I actually ran that calculation in my head while we were watching it, and I was like, okay, Tony's like, oh my gosh, buffer. <laughs> yeah, Tony is like built is the thing. He's got more rips mm-hmm. on him, but Stripes' fashion sense is pretty good. It is not because- good. Well, is he- but he's working it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he's doing him. And Tony is like mainly naked. <laughs> what Tony's doing is wearing one handkerchief <laughs> in the wrong part of his body. Right, but that's gay culture. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and so so it's really impossible to, like, if I have to rank them, I'm going to put Tony above Stripes, but it's yeah, pretty, like, as far as two tigers go, we got a good mm-hmm. good pair of choices here. So when, do you think Tony <laughs> and Stripes hang out at the reunions, or are they not friends? Are they, like, cousins? Gosh, I'm not really f- comfortable commenting on whether all tigers is, are related to each other and all go. <laughs> no, well, I'm not saying, I'm saying these two are yeah, related. Yeah, 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 okay. Are they friends in their family, or are mm, they? I don't think so, because I think Tony the Tiger thinks Stripes is, like, a little much. And I think Tony the Tiger, I mean, I can't really speak for sure, mm-hmm. but I feel like he would he would probably try to call Stripes out on some of his baloney. Well, see, I was going to say the other end because it seems to me like Tony the Tiger is kind of like a capitalist puppet huh. who would not mind being a mascot <laughs> for Robotnik in a way that Stripes ultimately decides he cannot be. Yeah, but Stripes was a puppet of Robotnik mm-hmm. up until the end of this episode, so we got to imagine that, like... These are two attractive tigers who have found positions of comfort in the <laughs> systems that exist in their each of their worlds. Yes, yeah. Let's go on and talk about the episode to see, we can decide later whether we can judge Tony for not having rebelled against his overlords <laughs> the way that Stripes sort of suggests that he will. <laughs> so uh, they go into this clearing and it's made very apparent pretty quickly that everything is not as it seems. Everybody's mm-hmm. really happy and they're like, how did you keep this from Robotnik destroying it? And they're like, oh, Robotnik just doesn't care about us all three of the hedgehogs are like okay well we live in the world Uh and we know that robotnik cares about everything that he doesn't have so that doesn't make a lot of sense sonic's line is like if robotnik doesn't control it he cares about it Mm -hmm. yeah that's a pretty good way to describe uh the entitled fascist yeah and especially considering how overwhelmingly he has targeted places of uh natural beauty yeah there's no chance he would just leave this alone and we find out almost immediately that that's true. Yep. And the tiger stripes goes and has like a video chat with Robotnik and he lies to Robotnik. And this is actually one of my favorite moments of the episode. He lies to Robotnik and says that there are two strangers that have arrived in the valley. Yeah. And Robotnik doesn't ask anything about them except whether or not they're rebels. And he goes, oh, I'm looking for three strangers. So it must not be like, the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figure out if they're rebels. And if so, roboticize them. But call me back when there are three. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Robotnik is... So aware of the commitment between these siblings that mm-hmm. he knows there's no way two of them are going to go somewhere without the other. Yeah. Stripes basically tries to protect Sonya. They share some looks when they meet. Yeah. And, and he even goes like, pleasure to meet you. 
And also your brothers. And also your brothers, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, that's one of the only times he takes off his sunglasses is he like lowers them to look at her like a no. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Should, are we gonna have to do a really long ring noise for that? I get <laughs> So the yeah, he's in love with Sonya very quickly, just like every other tiger yeah. adjacent. Or I guess Dingo is a dingo, so he's not tiger adjacent. Once again, like Sonya as like the one woman army mm-hmm. like if there's somebody to take a look at her they're gonna take a look yeah we've had a couple episodes even just in this run that we've done the aladdin episode oh yeah had someone who was like in love with sonya dingo's in love with sonya in every episode and now we have this guy oh yeah they keep doing this yeah hmm. and part of it i've been wondering about this sonya does seem to get a like imbalanced amount of plot importance episode to episode especially lately where like a lot of the plots revolve around her decision making and her character like it's almost like she's the plot and manic is the like personality they reference sometimes like his Uh big thing is like oh we're just gonna mention the sewer and we're gonna mention that he's poor and like that's gonna be his thing we're gonna say that at least once an episode and he's also an instigator yes yeah i think he often like and in the case of this episode where he can't stop telling people that he's defeated SWAT bots <laughs> like he just can't stay he's like oh yeah that reminds me of when I was hitting a SWAT bot <laughs> and they're like wait a second you're part of the resistance mm. and that makes sense because the resistance is the first like group of people he's been a part of other than his like close family in the sewer so well, yeah. it makes sense that he would feel like a lot of pride about that group mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. anyway so yes he's pretty he's trying to protect Sonya they hang out in town for a little while until Manic does what you just mentioned where he like says to a guy who's trying to give him free apples that he was stealing yeah. that uh, he fought for the resistance and that leads the whole town to like riot because they have all been convinced and believe that the reason the rest of the world is hurt is because the resistance has fought back too much. Ah. And if they would just relax and let Robotnik be in charge, then everything could go back to the way that it was because Robotnik is only destroying the earth to uh, make sure people aren't fighting him. And meanwhile, uh, Stripes and Sonya go into the woods mm-hmm. together. Is that parallel to this? Yeah, it's around the exact same time. And this is when Sonya talks to him about basically the same issue that she... Oh, I don't remember exactly how the conversation starts. Yeah, I don't remember exactly either. They talk about being in the resistance and she mentions that she's kind of a part of it. And he says that, like, he expresses his concern about the resistance and says the only way that he can protect the valley is by doing what Robotnik wants. Mm -hmm. And he believes this very strongly. And he says a couple of times in this episode, like, I've only done what I had to do to protect the valley. Like, I've been... They confront him and they ask him, like, what about the rest of the world? Like, what about the rest of Mobius? And he's like, I can't I can't worry about the rest of Mobius. I have to worry about this place. Yes. Which, yeah. of course, we get a flash of Robotnik hanging out on his own uh, after he gets off a video call with him and saying, like, as soon as we capture Sonya and Manic, I won't need their place anymore so I can yep. destroy it. Yep. The way of the fascists. Uh-huh. So then after that... I don't know, Sleet and Dingo show up. Yeah, they do their thing. They try to catch the hedgehogs. They realize the three of them are there. They're like, okay, we're going to catch them. Uh, Dingo gets turned into a barrel. Yeah, he's and it's not at all made clear why. He gets turned into a barrel, and then Sleet stands on top of the barrel just in time for Sonic to knock him off. Right. It seems like the plan was that Sonic wouldn't notice that the barrel was Dingo, and then when he was... Yeah, and then he could grab him. Yeah. But unfortunately, they gave him barrel arms that didn't have any hands, and so he was unable yep. to actually do any grabbing. <laughs> um, yes, not not the best transformation he's been through. <laughs> no, he had like a vending machine and a, and a big can in this episode. Oh, oh, the, the first thing, yeah, in that first scene, uh, he's uh, like a vault. He's like a safe, <laughs> and he's got knobs on him, and, and like that weirded me out actually yes manic 
turning the knobs that are like part of Dingo's body. And then Dingo like turns his head around and it's like, what's up? Yeah, that made me not feel so good. <laughs> Think about. Oh, and they also try to go. This is pretty like elaborate, but also makes the stakes immediately apparent, I guess, is they try to go like full Fern Gully on the town. Like they come in and they're like, we're taking the hedgehogs and we're shutting this whole place down. You're all getting roboticized. We're chopping these trees down. We hate trees. <laughs> They've got like machines that just like grab the trees and then laser them across the stump. Yeah, extra complicated machines. It was wild looking. Yeah. They had one arm for a laser and then two arms grabbing the tree at different places. Yeah. And wheels on the bottom to move around. And they were all autonomous. It was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. They were just like, just devour this forest. And they take stripes to go be roboticized. Mm-hmm. But Sonia, she turns her gun or her keyboard into a rifle. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe one of the best parts of the show and something that could be turned into a gif if we if somebody was so inclined. She like kicks open the door. She shoots the roboticizer freeing. I, can't, I keep thinking of him as the tiger freeing stripes. Stripes is just standing there dejectedly inside the tube and he doesn't move immediately. He's like, oh, man, I guess I'm going to be a robot, I guess. So much for my sweet bod. <laughs> and then <laughs> she she points it at him and she's like, are you ready to save the world? And he's like, yeah, I, I want to protect the valley. I, I, I can't believe these people are so evil. And she's like, well, then. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the resistance. resistance. <laughs> <laughs> and then she shoots all of the swap bots in the room. And it, she's used her piano as a gun before. Yeah. But this is the first time it like looks just like a rifle. It's got a handle. Yeah, it's like more like a gun than usual. <laughs> it looked like the like the DDR DLC for Halo 3 or something. Mm -hmm. And the like I think the result of like it's interesting to see that the thing that went wrong for Robotnik, because the reason that they escape is because the townsfolk turn around and Stripes turns around and starts fighting back, is that he like keeps doing stuff or sending Slate and Dingo to do stuff, ruining things before they are confirmed. Like, okay. and there is a line in this where Sonic says, "Don't." count your siblings before they're catched yeah that's pretty good and that's exactly what he did where he starts destroying the valley before he's even actually caught the hedgehogs right and if he hadn't done that it, who knows whether or not stripes would have ever like actually saved them or helped out yeah no kidding yeah and then there's some like uneven stuff where we both got a little confused where like they get in the van and drive away and then they drive back <laughs> and then they fight more and we're i i got a little jumbled in the last few minutes of this episode but yeah ultimately they leave sleet and dingo in the ocean where did the ocean come from was it a lake i guess i guess it was a lake i because they're in like a valley oh yeah they're in like a valley in the desert but it never ended it seemed pretty deep though <laughs> yeah it seemed to kind of go on well whatever they were in the water and yeah they have a conversation where that comes down to him realizing that he needs to be fighting back and not just making deals with Robotnik. Right, exactly. Because they're not going to work, and Robotnik has no reason to honor those deals. Uh, and that's that's a good lesson. Very interesting to have these lessons be so clear and present. Like, this is what the show's about Yeah. in the mid-90s. This is the, the second episode that we have featuring a utopia. Like we had uh, mm. the Brigadoon episode, yep. Mobo Dune, and both of them had this really clear and obvious sacrifice to be the way that they are. And in both cases, it had to do with uh, not engaging Brigadoon by like barely existing. Right. And then uh, this place by refusing to engage in the actual politics of the world in order to protect this small group of people. Right. Um, they are effectively a Brigadoon in that they don't 
they aren't contributing to or receiving from the rest of the world in any way. Yeah, it's not super clear. Are they producing this like incredible bounty of apples? It seems like it. It seems like they've they've got this beautiful valley. Right, right. So they've got this self-sufficient resort town valley mm-hmm. where people live of all of all kinds. But then do other people visit this resort or... Because yeah, it is kind of called a resort. Yeah. <laughs> they act like it is meant to be like a hospitality place, but who comes? They all just take turns being the staff and being the guests. Yeah, maybe so. I could be into that. I could be into that. <laughs> yeah, me too. take one week on, one week off. <laughs> yeah, so they don't even go super deep into like the infrastructure or how this... Like, what's the real deal here? Mm-hmm. It's just an isolated, beautiful place where people live peacefully uh more or less because of a deal with the devil himself mm-hmm. jim carrey <laughs> i don't know i think we got off on the i think the episode gets off on a wrong foot the first four and a half minutes felt like nothing was happening <laughs> just like decontextualized meaningless combat mm-hmm. iterating on the pattern and that's something that happens in a lot of kids shows that's fine. This show, especially, it is really interested in its combat and, and it's like in the fighting, almost always being about the characters like fooling the robots into hurting each other. Like, yeah, there were like seven or ten shots in this show, in this episode alone, of like two robots destroying each other, mm-hmm. like two simultaneous explosions. And I like the, uh, I like the message implied message of fascism and of these structures being most easily destroyed when you don't play their game directly right right. like like you're not gonna win by having also having guns you're not gonna win by also like having the robots you're gonna win by like messing with the way that they are even able to fight or like sure breaking the rules in these variety of ways and i appreciate that i appreciate the message of this episode overall like you said and i think this show as a whole like i am glad that kids were and are getting a chance to watch it and i'm glad that it has these messages yeah yeah it's gotten harder for me to enjoy moment to moment i remember being a kid and watching shows like this and watching mighty morphin power rangers when it came out mm-hmm. and like re-watching some of that now there's so much filler yeah but i liked the filler when i was a kid mm-hmm. like i liked just hanging out and spending time in the world and there's power in the repetition and so forth of these things but that's what's interesting about this episode's filler is that it didn't feel like filler in that it wasn't redundant in terms of its animation it didn't seem like it was saving any money the opening sequence had a whole new transformation for dingo it had a whole fight sequence where they were like at different angles and doing different things yeah like sonic cut a whole row of robots in half it seems like an intentional choice to have this much combat and it doesn't seem like it's like saving them well it's not uh, by filler i don't mean like saving production resources i mean Mm -hmm. things which don't seem to contribute significantly to the overall story like like in power rangers for example there's a different fight with the putty patrol every episode Mm -hmm. like they have to choreograph and record like a whole fight every time there's something to especially power rangers like pattern formula Mm -hmm. that is very satisfying i think to the young mind yeah where there's comfort to a certain extent and expecting certain things to happen they do happen you're like yes i knew they were gonna fight (laughs) that as an adult is not as satisfying in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. or at least for something that I've, you know, that I literally watched dozens of times as a kid. Underground doesn't play with any particular pattern, Mm-mm. and that's something that makes it 
sometimes harder to watch and sometimes very interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess that you know the conversation around this episode must have been like, okay, we got about fifteen minutes worth of story. I guess we just do an action sequence to start, <laughs> to, you know, like fill four minutes. I wonder if there's something to putting your main characters because they don't do a lot of actual fighting in the rest of this episode like by the end of it they are um helped out by the townspeople and they're like escaping basically if you earn some sort of ethos i guess by giving your main characters the opportunity to show like okay we are definitely better than these bad guys not just morally but also Mm -hmm. like in general like we deserve to be winning right now sure um and so then when we're put up against this dilemma later that involves whether or not to compromise with the bad guys there is this evidence that you got from the first few minutes of like no we're definitely better and there's no reason for us to give up Mm. because we can beat them and we we are going to win if we keep fighting sure so there's no reason to like even tolerate or allow this guy's idea of like compromise yeah that's definitely an aspect of like sonic and manic's position especially Mm -hmm. like sonic is like hey we're gonna beat these people like we're gonna stop them we the making a deal is not only not going to work it's also not necessary Mm -hmm. and we can prove that and i suppose one of the other functions of the opening sequence is to show that they are like still fighting (laughs) they're fighting non-stop so being offered the chance to take a break is the change of pace yeah that's interesting yeah, because they, they have to run away and then they get a chance to like take a bath, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. I have a harder time really investing myself in action sequences, mm-hmm. like the older I get, I guess, um, or the more of them I've seen and gone like, okay, I get what's going to happen here probably. Whereas for many, many years, I was like, yeah, yeah, get them. Like I get, you can, there has to be a good reason for me to dig into like moment by moment punches and kicks mm-hmm. and explosions and starting the episode without like any sense of stakes or why they're doing it made it hard for me to get into it at the beginning. Yeah. But I suppose the function in this episode is to be like, the fight goes on, but look, an oasis, mm-hmm. a chance to breathe. Well, I think a big part of that maybe is that when you're a kid, your baseline is still believing that anything could happen at any time in a show. Mm. Even though, even when you get used to these rhythms and even when you get used to a story, the world itself is so surprising all the time and you haven't yet gotten used to tropes and you don't you don't understand that, that like the genre uh, requires certain things and the plot requires certain things that almost always end up with the heroes winning. I think that for a long time, kids are more willing to allow for the possibility of failure. So any action sequence Uh can feel a little more exciting because you don't, you can feel like uh, you don't actually know that it's going to go right. Whereas we, because we know the structure of the show and because we're used to these tropes, understand pretty much exactly how the fight's going to go. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. Being willing to, to engage with, and especially yeah, as a kid and the show's coming out and you're trying to catch it like every week after school or whatever, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And honestly, on a moment-to-moment basis, this show still, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it does It does do a lot of, if not twists, like it does do turns. The, the yeah. plot shifts a lot. There's infrastructure. Like we know Dingo is going to be turned into stuff. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine if I'd watched this at a certain age, I would have just been completely tickled and like dedicated to finding out what else Dingo was going to turn into. I think about that too. Like now, 
a character that transformed like that is still interesting to me, mm-hmm. but the designs are so gross and yeah. everything he turns into is so <laughs> ugly, so, so ugly that every time I'm like, oh no, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see his like <laughs> molecules get rearranged and his like body come back together as like a disgusting greasy barrel with a face. I right. hate it. Right. And I, I am like, I think as a kid, that kind of visceral feeling would have been funny and engaging in a different way. Yeah. Or maybe it is also gross but that's part of why it's appealing because that can also be fun yeah yeah but to me now i am like uh give me something cute give me something beautiful i want to look at dingo turned into something that's actually any good why is it a barrel right right there's a part of me that feels like it's a shame that i'm not going to sit here and watch every single episode of this because i but i but that i also don't think this is actually going to happen is like what i want so badly is for dingo to get out from underneath sleet. Yes. Like to, to steal the remote control mm-hmm. and be like, you've treated me badly for the last time. And for him to join like the Sonic team. Yeah. And then like they come up with different types of things to transform him into <laughs> because he still likes to be transformed. That's not the problem. Yeah. He's into that. The problem is he's like, I was transformed by someone with a really poor imagination. <laughs> Do any of you kids have any good ideas? <laughs> that was such a good voice. I love that idea. And they have teased, at least in the first couple episodes, there were a lot of teases of him maybe switching over because of Sonya. But they haven't followed through on that. They haven't paid off. Right. It hasn't paid off. And it seems like they've forgotten. It feels like they forgot. It. Yes. It seems like it's settled into this rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, you know, right now Power Rangers is on my mind for some reason. But I remember, like, like and, and having rewatched it, Power Rangers had, like, two dozen episodes in a row that are more or less monster of the week Mm -hmm. identical pattern we're going to talk about a different like interpersonal lesson and then every 20 episodes or so there's like a three to five day mini series Mm -hmm. where something changes yeah and what i want from underground is that Mm -hmm. like i want there to be like oh now things are going to be different and i don't get the feeling that that's actually gonna happen yeah but i don't know even the beginning didn't really stuff was changing and a lot of stuff was happening yeah but it didn't it didn't exactly feel like what you're saying it didn't feel like it's going to build up to a big change it feels like the whole show is going to build up to a finale right but that that finale actually never even got made yeah so we don't really oops it's not really going to end because until then all they're doing is they're fulfilling the prophecy yeah and the only potential twists on that are actually meeting their mom mm-hmm. and finding out that the prophecy is somehow different or changed from what they expected it to be, which I find unlikely. Yeah. And it also bears repeating that it has taken us like a year and a half to watch 13 episodes of this show. And <laughs> we are scrutinizing. Once again, we must say that that is a potential problem of our approach when yes. <laughs> we like <laughs> way overanalyze any given episode of a serial television program. Do you think that the most beautiful thing Dingo could turn Sleet into as he runs away is Dingo? Do you think Dingo could turn Sleet into him and then flee? And then it'll seem like Sleet ran away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if if the transform remote control does work on other people, which we I don't think we have any evidence of. We don't have evidence of, but it seems strange that it would only work on Dingo. I feel like Dingo is a unique creation upon this earth. He's kind of the Mewtwo of this universe. He's a special being. Like a secret science project gone somewhat wrong, producing 
too many rips and too and and a, like an unstable molecular structure. A tear is coming to my eye right now thinking about Mewtwo. How could sorry. you bring, bring him up at this, I'm so sorry, at this I'm time right. when I have I'm just sorry. had to uh, engage with him directly in Pokemon Let's Go? I know that and was I love him. Actually, I need to watch that movie again. Inconsiderate of me. Oh. Yeah, I loved that stuff. Oh man. Oh the boy. First Pokemon, the first movie, so good. Uh oh, Pokemon oh. time. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch him. Oh. Uh, so, you have anything else? Any thoughts? Any other? Do you have any other thoughts about this episode? Not about this episode, no. We took a break for a lot of this year because of scheduling yeah. issues. And we talked about how we were going to bring it back and when we could do it. And we wanted to do a few more episodes of Sonic stuff. Before we mm-hmm. move on to some other topics. Yes. And have we had a good retrospective about Sonic and what he's about? Yes, we have. We've talked about how what we learned. It was at the end of our first year, really. We talked about what we've what we've learned and how we feel about Sonic as a character. And I do think that most of that hasn't changed. We were right then and we're right now. I'll say it. It's so good to be so right. <laughs> I, I love Sonic and I mm-hmm. love what we have learned mm-hmm. uh, about him and, and, and his, his world and all of these other characters. And there's so much good stuff there. And it also feels like we've probably spent too much consecutive time <laughs> well, that in was, this one world. We knew it would feel like that eventually, but I think yeah. I think we are hitting a point of some like diminishing returns on our ability to give new thoughts about Sonic because we've we've seen a lot of what Sonic has to offer, and I'm sure that there is more for us to learn and see and enjoy. Absolutely, and I'm hoping we will. We eventually will. Yes, but. For a while, I think it would benefit both our time with Sonic to get a little bit of a broader context on the time period that a lot of these properties were coming out, mm-hmm. and also a little bit more of a baseline on like what was happening in kids' media during the time that Sonic was rising up. And like, yeah. Sonic is weird. We've recognized that it's weird, it's strange, it's an anomaly in some ways. Mm-hmm. But if we look at other shows that were popular during this time, if we look at other characters that were big during this time, can we get an idea of what that landscape is like and how strange is Sonic in this uh, zone of the 90s and early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. Or is he part of a trend in some way? What I think what we're, we've done like the comparative literature approach to Sonic as an entity, mm-hmm. right? We've taken a look at all of these different things that Sonic is featured in. We've discovered that it's pretty hard for us to talk meaningfully about any of the games at length. Yes. Like, for whatever, you know, and that what we're most interested in is, like, the narrative bits. Mm -hmm. And as much as we, like, yes, I kind of do want to, like, finish watching Sonic X, Sonic Underground, and, like, do that deep study. That also feels a little bit, like, like episode by episode, as you say, we have less to say. Mm Mm-hmm that could be interesting for the audience and then we have to like continually you know it's like okay are we just gonna goof about this one <laughs> or are we gonna go hard on like how 90s and 2000s media continued to be like continue to lack feminist principles <laughs> and that's fine that's all fine but I but I uh, you and I have talked about this and we're trying to kind of explain it I think in a it, explain our thinking mm-hmm. is that we would like to spend time with something else for a little bit yes uh, we'd like to spend time with something else and there are a lot of good reasons for that but a big part of it is that we think it's going to lead to a more fun show right now. Yeah. And to that end, our plan is to talk about kids' television 
from hopefully mostly the 90s and early 2000s. I don't know why I said hopefully. I guess just mostly. Well, I mean, we're not in control of what we talk about. We yeah. do get the email every week. That says, Here's what's on the docket. <laughs> we're going to watch this from the 90s and early 2000s or some modern TV shows if we end up uh, wanting to touch into that. Sure. The idea for me being that like Sonic Underground and Sonic X and all these shows, they continue to exist for kids now in a way that a lot of television has never gotten to do before mm-hmm. because they are still being streamed. They are still being watched by kids who weren't who were born a whole decade after the show came out. Right. And in the same way, a lot of other shows that were popular when I was a kid are still out there and still being viewed and still affecting our culture in a direct way. So I think it's a good idea to look at them. Yes, yes. We have talked about Sonic as this like almost permaculture object Mm -hmm. of like, you know, wow, it's so weird that he's, he has been in the public consciousness for over 25 years now or, you know, whatever. It feels like an anomaly, but at that part isn't. Mm -hmm. We live in a media environment that continues to be saturated by things that primarily were invented in the 80s and 90s Mm -hmm. like we've still got ninja turtles we still got i know power rangers predates that in terms of the sentai shows that in japan but like franchises have become increasingly important and these characters are kept alive and revisited the myth making continues and is mutated and so forth so to that extent like sonic is just one of many the things that like we all have in common to some extent. I'm surprised we haven't talked about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles more. I'm thinking about the, some of the comparisons between that and Underground right now, and I'm like, oh, actually, they have a lot of yeah uh, consistent oh. <laughs> th- thematic and energy elements to them. Yeah, including the like '90s obsession with sewers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the sewer, this like team of kids who are all rebelling <laughs> against this like evil figure. That's uh-huh. like they're all they've all got this kind of like too cool attitudes. It's a very Sonic Underground's very TMNT. It's actually a little bit too. Yeah, okay. All right. But the so, next thing that I want to talk about, Nick, yes. and that I am hoping that we will dip into for yes. a little while, is another famous video game character. A character who has existed for almost as long as Sonic, who has been in a lot of the same arenas as Sonic, who has mm-hmm. superpowers, who's very cute, who talks uh, very little, mm-hmm. but who, for whatever reason despite being an important and popular character in our culture, does not have the same power. Yeah. Did not end up with the same, like, omnipresence that Sonic did. But there is one very good television show that I used to watch when I was younger that does feature this character. And so I think we need to watch at least a few episodes Uh of... Kirby, Kirby, that's a name you should know. Kirby, 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 he's the star of the show. Kirby, right back at ya. Oh boy. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> it's got an incredible theme song. It's got a uh, very cute main character, of course. It's got a bad guy who's a snail. I used to really, really love this show, but I haven't watched it since it was on the air yeah. on the like four kids programming block when I was younger. And so I'm really excited to see what it is like now. Yeah. And also to draw some lines and think a little bit about like, what's different. What have they, what have they done differently in this show? And why do we think this character has not had the same effect that Sonic has had? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I need to like couch all of this in terms of our audience. Cause we've talked to, you know, we've tweeted a little bit about like, if we talk about some other stuff, would that be cool with y'all or whatever? And, mm-hmm. and the thing is we don't know We're we are hoping very much that you who have enjoyed listening to this show so far, 
will hang out with us and keep coming along and learn about some more stuff. Yes. And um, our sense is that that's going to be just fine because nobody likes just one thing. <laughs> we all like a lot of stuff. And we've talked about Pokemon and we've talked about Mario and we've talked about all the, you know, it's all there in the sort of Smash Brothers soup of our imaginations. Mm-hmm. And this is Kirby's moment. Yes. Right now, here on the cusp of, uh, or maybe after the, this may come out, right after Smash has been uh, released. Mm-hmm. Which will be perfect. Yeah, the new Smash where Kirby is the only living video game character, <laughs> uh, at least to begin with. Yep. We are like super excited to learn about some new worlds mm-hmm. and talk about some new characters, and all of it is absolutely like inevitably going to be couched in relation to the study we've already done. Yes, and that's that's what I'm excited about, is that this has the opportunity to actually contribute to the way we think about Sonic, because, to be honest, I don't have a super great intellectual adult picture of this landscape and i'm excited to have one right exactly so we're trying to broaden our scope and we want to study more kids media more video game stuff Mm -hmm. and more of these like long-standing cultural artifacts and to see what the bigger picture is like Mm -hmm. let's say we've we've completed like year one of our university (laughs) of like weird media objects yes and uh year two is going to be more of a survey class <laughs> where we look at a few different things and just uh have a good time and see where we wind up a couple other tiny changes we will be releasing episode three episodes in a row followed by a week off yep most months this is so that we can have time to plan this is so that if we are doing something that requires a little bit more energy or that requires us to do a little bit more prep work we'll have a week to do that so that we can uh if we do end up talking about something other than a tv show we'll have time to do that And outside of that, we do want to hear about what you guys like about this idea, if you're excited about it, if there are certain cultural properties that you think we should visit in our journey, please let us know, especially, like we've said, cartoons uh, or uh, kids' media from the 90s and 2000s. I'm sure we will visit some anime. I'm sure we will visit some Power Rangers Sentai shows. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff, I'm sure we will get a little bit of, but I am curious to hear what you guys think might impact what we've already been studying and interested in the most and also like you know what we like yeah if you know of a good kids show that deals with like uh destroying a fascist <laughs> state yeah are there any other ones that deal with this yeah <laughs> we would like to know about that mm-hmm. please let us know so yeah requests and suggestions are absolutely welcome mm-hmm. we appreciate you being here mm-hmm. and we're gonna keep having a good time as we just like talk about more of the wild world of human creativity <laughs> so we'll uh we'll see you on the other side with what yeah. is maybe the third thing we're calling season two of your two show uh and, <laughs> and as always i'm caleb zane hewitt i'm nick splendor and, and your, your two, two there's still two Boom. show there's there's still two show, right, Caleb? We're oh, not changing oh. that. Like, oh yeah, yeah. They're two show. Yeah, and we're. I'm still Caleb, and you're still Nick. Right. That nothing. And... None of that has to change. We're not changing. I mean, maybe we'll do a different show art at some point, but it's not like we're. Di- I mean, it's still gonna be. No, we. Yeah, it's this. It's, it's the all the same. same. It's the same thing. It's just new, yeah. you know, whatever. Okay. Well. Good night. Good. Good night. <laughs>
smile. <laughs>